This episode of AVXL was re-recorded on August 12, 2020. We're going to talk about the joy of being under warranty, Robert's $30,000 monitor calibration adventure, TCL's new 6-series TVs, flashlighting and clouding on your TV, Sony's new flagship noise-canceling headphones, and hey, don't forget, ask an AVXL if you got a question for us. Testing, one, two, three. All right, I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Welp Navy Excel, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear, no matter what your budget is. I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. And I am on the search for Atmos speakers. Yay! Many of which are out of stock. <laughs> ah, you can use any speaker in the ceiling. Just shove them in there. <laughs> on one hand, yes. On the other hand, occasionally you would like to match your fancy speakers. Oh yeah, when possible. It was interesting, though, uh, something that just happened this week is that Emotiva has done some new downfiring speakers. You know, if I open up Emotiva's website instead of a used audio store in Denver, Colorado, it'll be much easier to actually get the name of that new downfiring speaker. Um, where did it go? Where did it go? Where did it go? Airmotiv Volta in-ceiling loudspeakers, $300 a pair, and they have uh, folded ribbon tweeters. So I'm kind of excited about that. Sweet. It's tempting because it's one of the options. The other option, of course, I could. Uh, there are a couple different options uh, for the ELAC debut 2.0 speakers I have. But uh, we'll get into that at a different stage when I've spent more quality time stuffing things into my ceiling we'll get into that all right um, <laughs> i'm just you know all i want to do is dig down a couple feet in my basement pour a new flat concrete floor do some really serious soundproofing to the first level and uh and then ponies and the unicorn poop and it's going to be amazing <laughs> i hear you it's a new space. It's going to take some work, but I think you'll get yeah. there. Mostly, though, I need to replace that, he said, pointing towards the horrendous uh, mains box, which is a Federal Pacific mains box, which is, uh, if you're familiar with uh, electrical equipment of a certain vintage, is known for lighting on fire, or more accurately, the circuit breakers inside were not manufactured to the UL standards that they were certified at. So they have a habit of breaking, but locking open in a way that allows full power from your mains through the box into your house, creating mayhem and fire. So I'm looking forward to having that replaced. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Apparently, there's quite a bit of work to be done. <laughs> and grounding all the outlets and putting in uh, another... Well, putting in lots of outlets in the basement. But I digress, because while electricity is critical for the home theater experience, hard to have HDR, much less any screen without electricity. Uh, we should probably talk about some televisions. You're super excited about the 2020 6 Series televisions from TCL are hitting the streets, or at least hitting the reviews. They are. I saw the first one pop up on CNET. I believe Mr. David mm -hmm. Katzmeyer took a look at the 55 inch, which will be a solid value at $650 list price. And the big upgrade for the 2026 series is bringing that mini LED technology that TCL developed. They call Vidrian, and it's effectively placing tens of thousands of mini LEDs into a glass substrate. 
that is the backlight system. That was first introduced with the 8 series. Now they're bringing that same technology to the 6 series. Let's see, for the 55-inch screen, you're looking at about 128 local dimming zones. That jumps up Ooh. to 160 on the 65-inch panel. And for the 75-inch, it'll be 240. A good amount of local dimming coverage for a TV that should well and exceed 1,000 nits of absolute brightness for HDR playback. The 5 Series is also getting an update as well, but it will not include that mini-LED technology. One other thing coming for the 6 Series for 2020 is true 120 hertz panels and variable refresh rate support. So gamers are going to have good low-cost options for something that can do a good HDR presentation. And for the 55-inch, $650, they're looking at $900 for the 65-inch and $1,400 for the 75-inch. 6 Series 2020 unit from TCL. The 55-inch and the 65-inch should arrive within the next month, and that will be followed soon thereafter by the 75-inch panel. They are sticking with the Roku platform, which I always appreciate for its general usability <laughs> and ease of use and customization. <laughs> but cool. We it, like things that are easy to use. 6 Series was always my go-to pick for a good value HDR 4K TV and the new 2020 is just a solid upgrade over last year at similar pricing street pricing even and it's just going to be I think a, a fantastically popular unit going into the into the fall are they actually shipping these now the 65 and 55 should arrive I believe early September and then okay. that would be followed by the 75 inch panel coming probably about two or three weeks later Ugh. I'd be very curious to see that 75-inch panel in real life. Mm -hmm. They also are offering the 5 Series, and it will feature full-array local dimming, but not that many LED backlight technology. The refresh rates are going to be 60 instead of 120 hertz for the 6 Series panels, but you're going to get a nice discount in pricing. They're showing the 75 5 Series panel at $1,100 for a street price, so... It's just good values, but if you can swing it, move up to their 6 Series where you get the, the wide color palette, excellent brightness, and now 120 hertz with variable refresh rate. So if you're eyeballing a future game console in your near future, <laughs> that's a good matching for it at a, at a good price. And literally for that 55-inch screen, that's that's almost a third the price of an OLED with superb brightness. So anyway. Options. Options are there. Options are good. I'm just excited about 240 local zimming zones. Yeah, on that um, biggest panel. It mm -hmm. scales It scales appropriately. It's just like, look, they, they have so many LEDs per you know square inch or whatever you want to metric it as. So as the panels get bigger, they just simply use more of them to achieve a similar, a similar level of control over the whole screen, which is great. Great is good. You uh, also had... Uh a fascinating experience calibrating a thousand nit 4k like 4096 by 2060 thousand nit 99 percent dcip3 color uh professional monitor from uh iso or eiz i always say it iso i do too so i hope i'm okay. saying that correct <laughs> <laughs> they're cg3145 it is an amazing pro monitor and like mm -hmm. you mentioned, 1,000 nit, full 4K resolution, wide color palette using wide gamut LED technology. When you step up to monitors costing literally, the list price on this originally was, I believe, $30,000. Mm -hmm. 
There is a mm-hmm. there's an upgraded 3146 model that integrates a self-calibration module, which is quite interesting to watch. But when you start paying this much for monitors like this, the first thing I noticed was the uniformity. Uh, number one, that screen from corner to corner, edge to edge is there are very few hot spots or dim areas or vignetting or mm-hmm. there is no issue whatsoever. They've clearly gone over it on almost a pixel by pixel basis to make it as window like and uniform as possible. The controls in order to set up this display are also incredibly granular, whereas most TVs, if you're lucky, have maybe 50 steps of an adjustment. And of those 50 steps, you're hoping that maybe 10 of them are worth a damn. This had 2,000 steps per any adjustment I touched, and each one was very tiny. The granularity was just off the freaking scales. The other thing you really notice, too, about a monitor like this is right out of the box, it is linear in terms of its grayscale. From pitch black, scaled all the way up to peak bright, that color of gray is very consistent. And the adjustment, then, is simply to get it right on the the white point target of, of the artist's intent, which is usually something called D65, which is a... You can think of it as what lighting is like at a midday overcast sky type scenario, that kind of a white, a neutral white. It was just fantastic to actually get hands on with a display of this quality. It's definitely not Mm -hmm. for everyone, nor is it. It's definitely not for everyone, especially at price points (laughs) like that. I was comparing this directly to something that cost a quarter of the price from Asus, their ProArt display. They have a new 32-inch panel, full 4K resolution, wide color palette using quantum dot technology. It also supported, beyond this display, this ISO CG3145 support of HDR10 and HLG and other HDR formats like that. The ProArt monitor from Asus also included support natively for Dolby Vision. And granted, a $4,500 monitor is still crazy expensive, but I consider it, at least on paper, as having similar specs to something like a $30,000 ISO. So I would assume there's probably not the precise uniformity in terms of uh, both those panels, but still, it's pretty amazing what I'm seeing in price ranges, you know, getting upwards of $5,000 for a monitor. But consider even a year ago that a panel like that literally would have been something like a $30,000 piece of technology. Now it's in something that's about four or $5,000. And I'm hoping in another year or two, we'll, we'll see some of this we technology <laughs> trickle down at least, at least in terms of that thousand nit local dimming performance in more consumer grade monitors that don't cost, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars to do. But it was a, it was a wow moment. And it's definitely a sweet monitor if you, if you have the need for it, but oof. if you're getting pro- your professional on, as it were. Yeah, that's where you absolutely have to depend on what you're looking at for a living. And it, it <laughs> that those are the kind of folks I was dealing with. And it might not be for me or you, but hey, it was it it's was nice a, to know it's out there. It was glorious to look at and tune up. We were talking about this in pre-show and I was laughing because one of the things I, I typed in this week was talking about uh, black uniformity. uh Ratings also discusses clouding or flashlighting. And 
I'm thinking about Robert. I'm listening to Robert describe this fantastically even, perfectly lighted, incredibly backlit professional monitor. And I'm thinking about the 240, you know, dimming zones on that 75-inch uh, TCL 6 series television. Because I have a very inexpensive television uh, that we're using right now until uh, I get the projector set up, until I get electricity installed so I can actually run the projector without blowing out the circuit breaker in the house somewhere. But there is a lot of flashlighting and clouding, right? So th- we're talking about, uh, or I'll quote here from ratings, a TV's ability to display solid black all across its screen. Perfect black uniformity would mean shadows, night skies, and other black objects would look equally dark at any given point in the screen, and that the TV's lighting is perfectly diffused across the screen. And I was thinking about this a lot because I was watching this scene, you know, there's space, there's stars, and I can see flashlighting in the corners because it looks like there's kind of a flashlight. You know, when you turn a flashlight, you get that sort of effect uh, as it comes across a, 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 you know, as the the cone of the flashlight crosses a plane of a desk or a wall or something, so totally. there's flashlighting in all four corners, and there's there's some, you know, clouding in the middle, which essentially means instead of being perfectly black, there's a bunch of gray in the corners, and there's some gray in the middle, and uh, you know, the the way we fix that now, if you have the money, is to have an OLED television. <laughs> yeah, I've looked at some rather premium LCDs new ones of late and mm-hmm. there's always some uniformity issue the the last samsung i looked at had vignetting around the edges of the screen where that's Ooh. a little darker than the rest of the picture and yeah it, it's not ideal and sometimes you can actually correct issues like that by getting that tv fully warmed up turn up its backlight all the way let it run for like an hour make sure it's showing some bright video to make it all nice and toasty and then carefully rub it down on the screen with a clean microfiber cloth. I would only do this as a last resort, but I have seen that reseal the edges and the layers of the TV and help help a little bit in terms of uh, countering some of those those nasty effects. It's definitely more noticeable to see a hot spot on a black background then that's one of the most distracting things and those are usually fixed on the screen so it's like eh. i've also seen damaged screens where they are struck by an object and that suddenly creates a hot spot that's permanent (laughs) and frustrating uniformity is definitely something to pay attention to and there is a bit of the screen lottery out there in terms of just sometimes even within us the same series of that palette of tvs there'll be a handful that are just not right Still, that's definitely something to look for, but it's it's almost nothing you can do anything about until you actually have that thing set up and you're looking at your favorite content. It's not like you can go into a store and pick out the TV you're going to actually take home and actually see it running ahead of time. That just doesn't happen. Right. So it's a lovely theory. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What the hell? I mean, I, I have heard of people bringing home multiple items until they got the one that looked best or, or, or they thought sounded best. I'm thinking actually of, of someone I know who, who claimed that there was a serious difference in different iterations of a particular headphone uh, and bought 11 sets at three different vendors and kept returning them. Oh. <laughs> Not me, I'm man. sure they're on a list somewhere. But that kind of goes um, back to why people loved plasma displays and now OLED right. so much is because the uniformity per pixel is superb. There is no uniformity issue with those TVs in general. Uh, historically, I remember the, the original OLEDs that came out, that first 1080p model way back in the day, that actually did have some vignetting around the edges of the screen. But those kinds of issues have long long since been addressed as far as i can tell i've uh 
been uh, thinking a lot about how difficult it's going to be to review headphones uh, in the next few months or year, primarily because events like CanJam and of course CES we talked about last week and other smaller audio events are basically off the map. Yeah. It's always neat to go to something like CanJam where there's 30 or 40 different headphone manufacturers there and you can go through and swing and listen to a bunch of stuff and, and get a, in many cases, an excellent idea of what it sounds like or talk to the vendors and make arrangements to get product into review. Um, those are all pretty much done until next year. They would, uh, allow me to hear ridiculously priced stuff because you know there's you know full call is not going to send out a whole bunch of four thousand dollar headphones but it also allows you to hear a lot of inexpensive uh stuff too and this isn't a huge deal in the bigger picture uh but it's still kind of a, a huge pain in the ass and i've been thinking about it a lot because sony uh released the xm4 um their latest of their top of the line i should say the wh-1000 xm4 uh to reviewers pre-orders started uh earlier this week they're shipping on the 21st and it's been fascinating for me because everybody talks about how phenomenal these headphones are and they talk to and many people are huge especially in the audiophile forums they're huge fans of the xm3 and i picked up a set of the xm3 audio wise xm3 and the xm4 are pretty much the same headphone my understanding i've not verified this but my understanding is that they are using the same drivers in the xm3 and the xm4 they've made the xm4 a little bit wider and they've added some interesting features uh you know they claim they've they've you know, increased and upgraded the microphone so there's better voice calling. The really cool thing for a lot of people, uh, there's a couple things. One is that they have a speak to chat mode where if you start speaking, it'll dial down the headphone, the audio you're listening to in the headphones. It will pair with two devices at the same time, which is huge for people who use these in the office. You know, you're still looking at somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 hours of battery life. Uh, they've upgraded oh, the nice. Bluetooth processor. I know a couple of people at the wire cutter, and they always talk about the 900, which has been replaced by the 910, which has been a significant upgrade from the 900 uh, in terms of, of actual design changes. Um they talked about how the, the 900 sounded so much better out of the box. And it turns out that's because the XM3 and the XM4 actually sound like crap out of the box. And anybody who talks about how great the XM4 sounds and actually hasn't EQ'd the XM4s probably actually hasn't listened to a really good set of headphones. And it's frustrating because, you know, these are in many ways a phenomenal set of headphones. These are the, uh, the XM3s I'm holding up right here. But they have, out of the box, the way they ship from the factory, there's big bloaty bass uh, that that makes the high-end sound recessed. It's not a good sounding headphone. And one, you know, there's so much technology in these, right? Because you have uh, Bluetooth and headphone amplifiers, you know, and they do some interesting stuff in terms of hand controls, which are also supposedly improved in the XM4. And of course, active noise cancellation. And all of those things add expense. So, you know, a $300 headset or headphone that you plug in or headset that you plug into your laptop or your phone probably has a lot more money invested in the actual sound of it than in, you know, a $350 headset that has to include all of this additional technology to make it function wirelessly and give you active noise cancellation. The active noise cancellation is fantastic. If you start playing around with the, if you tweak, if you go for like the Harman curve in terms of the, there's a Sony application that runs on your phone and that allows you to EQ the headphones. They can sound really, really good, but I was shocked at how bad they sound out of the box. That is shocking, but I'm also glad to hear that there is actually the app included that allows you to make right. those adjustments, even though hopefully they'll have a firmware update and re-EQ that as a default. It's basically the exact same, the XM3 and the XM4, that's pretty much the way they've run it. They've done multiple you know, firmware upgrades. They've done multiple software upgrades. That is just the way they roll 
with that particular headphone. That's a good reminder, though. If you purchase these, then take a look at that EQ program within the app itself and tweak. Go online and, (laughs) yeah, find find something. It seems like you can definitely improve the sound quality right out of the box, and that's uh, just worth knowing. The XM4 removes AppDAX, which some people are upset about. Some people don't care. They still have Sony's LDAC. Uh, but the other thing that, that people talk about is that with the XM3s, if you EQ the headphones and it actually defaults to the SBC, the kind of the standard Bluetooth communications, Bluetooth wireless instead of using AppDAX or, or LDAC. So uh, it's all very fascinating. Uh, and it also makes me side-eye uh, any of a number of reviews of the headphones I've read having, having started to hear some of these. So, uh, goodness. Uh, <laughs> the live action remake of Mulan uh, is going to be on Disney Plus September 4th. It's an interesting choice, right? Uh, it's going to cost $30 on top of your monthly subscription. The CEO uh, at Disney, Bob uh, Chapek, called the release strategy a, quote, one-off. And uh, they also announced a global launch of a streaming service under the Hot Star brand next year. Disney's been losing a lot of money, uh, like every other studio. Um, you know, Disney, of course, is has no revenue from its theme parks and other things. But the thing that kind of drew me this story is there had been sort of a reaction online from somebody who was like, this is ridiculous. How dare they not release this immediately on Blu-ray? Disney doesn't care about quality and where's the Dolby? And it's like, okay, I got it. Uh, you know, don't, this is no excuse to pirate content. Uh, because for, in the case of Hamilton, Sony released that several months early because everybody was trapped in their house. So they're like, Hey, this is done. Why should we wait till October? We can re- release it on Disney plus now. And the same thing in Mulan, they've already pushed the release two or three times. And obviously theaters are not going to be particularly doing that fantastic anywhere in the near future. So they decided to, to, for all of the people who have been furiously waiting for the release of this, they decided to make it available online. Uh, and you know, Dolby Atmos is amazing. Dolby Vision is amazing. You know, most people don't have compatible equipment. Breathe. (laughs) The experience is still going to be astonishing. The thing that also kind of blew my mind on this was looking at, there was a a graph on this story, this variety story uh, that I was looking at. And Netflix has 193 million subscribers worldwide. Prime Video, 150 million. Disney Plus has gotten 60 million, which they expected to hit in 2024. They're obviously ahead of the curve on this one. Hulu has 35.5 million subs. And then all of the other streaming services have a significantly lower number of subscribers. It's amazing to realize, you know, how many people out there can actually get Netflix uh, or Prime Video. Those are big numbers. That's a lot of people. Huge. So, and if Disney <laughs> continues with the strategy of you know providing feature releases for a reasonable price, especially if you consider it a, a multi-person viewing compared to going to the movie theater, that's going to be a moneymaker for them, without a doubt. I'm hearing all sorts of complaints, though, that Disney seems to be all but abandoning 4K Blu-ray for HDR releases. Mm. There is very little in their pipeline going down this road, and I even saw a petition... <laughs> the petition went up on change.org asking Disney to please consider distributing ultra high def Blu-rays. It's going to be interesting to watch because Disney has always been like, oh, here's the Disney classic you love and want to share with your grandchildren available on Blu-ray for now. Yeah. You know what I mean? They, they cycle things out of the out of the vault, as it were. And that's been a long term part of they, they've 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 been pissing people off with the availability of their titles on disc for years. True. So, um, you know, I, I I would be delighted and probably shocked if it showed up on on 4K HDR. 
Um, in many cases, not holding my breath. (laughs) Yeah. It has to be shot in HDR to kind of really justify it. Everything is recorded in HDR and wide color palette. Now it is. But most of Disney's catalog goes back. And if it's on (laughs) film, especially, that could, they could, who knows? We've probably never seen how it looked like to the animator back in the day mm. in terms of the the ink and the choices of color and how it looked right and that transition to the film and how it was preserved oh it's endless it just showed up from amazon i have the 4k blu-ray for the wizard of oz which is not from disney but is probably the the benchmark for all film restorations of all time uh and i'm rather looking forward to cracking that thing open and seeing it in 4k uh, mostly for the color uh you know, not so much the resolution, but the it's amazing. Uh, if you saw telecine transfers of it or bad VHS tapes, uh, you know, it's kind of astonishing how much better it looks now. I agree. I love it. I'm rewatching older movies. Older. I rewatched The Matrix in 4K HDR. It was originally recorded with that wider color palette, and mm-hmm. it looked fan freaking tastic in that nice upgrade. I gotta. I have to admit, I'm a. I'm behind on my disc watching. I must catch up. <laughs> I have been way busy. Give up. <laughs> One of the other things we're talking about pre-show uh, is Roku. Roku is having a weird year. Second quarter 2020 streaming hours are up 65 percent over 2019. Pandemics are great for that. If you're locked into your house and have internet, you watch a lot of video. Uh, they added 3.2 million accounts. That's 41 percent more than last year in the same time period. Their unit sales are up 27 percent, and they're still losing money. Uh, they're, they lost like 43 million against 356 million dollars in earnings. But they raised another $350 million in capital, which gives them something like $887 million in reserve. And I just am never going to understand finance in Wall Street. Just want to say that. <laughs> Understood. <laughs> we are not a financial podcast, but the thing we did want to talk about was another Variety article. Quote, the Roku execs didn't address the current standstill in negotiations with Warner Media for HBO Max and NBC Universal for Peacock. Still no deal. Roku and Amazon are deadlocked with HBO Max and Universal's Peacock, um, which was unveiled July 15th, which you may or may not be aware of or may or may not care about. Um, You know, HBO Max still unavailable on Roku uh, since the May 27th launch. And again, Peacock. Uh, CEO Anthony Wood for Roku added, quote, it's important to us that we establish win-win-win economic relationships. It's what allows us to invest in innovation and bringing low-cost devices to consumers. So I can understand uh, that they're holding out for a better deal, but uh, it's a little frustrating. I'm still waiting for them to add Dolby Vision support to their external boxes. In the Roku platforms integrated into TVs, it generally will incorporate Dolby Vision support for that format when you're streaming that content or on a disc player that's connected directly to the TV. My Roku Ultra does not support Dolby Vision, and that's mildly annoying, especially when I have a display device that does. I can still live with HDR10. It is quite nice. (laughs) Props to Variety for why HBO Max, Peacock, or Deadlock and Toss with Roku and Amazon. And one of the things they point out in that article is that these arguments, these fights, these blackouts are not expected to go away anytime in the near future or probably the distant future. 
if you are a Google Play Music enthusiast, you've probably been getting in-your-face announcements that you need to migrate. Uh, YouTube Music is going to replace Google Play Music. Global streaming shuts down in October. Music collections will be deleted in December. Quote, users will have an opportunity to transfer their music libraries from Google Play Music to YouTube Music in that time frame. They have a pretty slick tool for doing that. Nice. Keep it easy. I've been seeing those notices pop up, and I finally just did it. No big whoop. Did you use the Google Music Manager? (laughs) I believe that's what it was. I was also, I just received my security update for August on my phone yesterday. So I was busy updating a bajillion apps and uh, seeing if that made my phone any better. (laughs) Did it? I have had fewer issues. So yes. (laughs) So far. Fewer issues is a good start. Oh, my goodness. Uh, under the things I wasn't expecting, Header, I picked up uh, Knives Out in a Walmart in La Junta, Colorado a few months ago. And uh, earlier this week, Walmart's uh, InstaWatch brand, powered by Voodoo, sent me an email to remind me that I have a digital download that I can claim. Uh, so uh, I'm pretty sure I've checked all my Blu-rays for codes. You pointed out that any codes I haven't redeemed are probably dead at this point. I need to double-check that because the main tool that you used to be able to do it was shut down through, I believe, Universal or whoever it was that was running that for a while there. And because of all the companies being merged and whatnot, it it seems like that really just sort of got shoved off to the back. But that was always so convenient when you bought a disc. You then had a virtual version of that on a a variety of different streaming platforms online that you could access from anywhere. So that was just another nice deal. I, you know, I, yeah, this this reminded me of the joys of movies anywhere. So, you know, that's that's the online service that combines your digital movies across Apple TV, Prime Video, Voodoo, Google Play, slash YouTube, Microsoft's movies and TV, uh, Xfinity, Fandango Now, which I didn't even know existed, uh, Verizon, and DirecTV, which may or may not be going away. Um, it doesn't do every studio, but it covers 20th Century Fox, Sony, Universal, Disney, and Warner Brothers. Uh, Paramount, Lionsgate, and MGM uh, still refuse to have anything to do with Movies Anywhere, possibly because Movies Anywhere is owned by Disney. Um, you know, the other thing that was interesting is Movies Anywhere, back in March, and I totally missed this announcement, uh, they announced a beta for something called Screen Pass, so you can share up to three movies uh, per month with other Movies Anywhere users. And uh, you get like 14 days to watch it and uh, 72 hours to finish watching it. So it's literally like a rental, except it's your friend loaning it to you. So you have 72 oh, hours cool. to watch it after uh, after you start watching. So nice. It only works for screen pass approved titles. Uh, and it's only for the folks in the beta. But I'd be kind of curious to see that go out. I, I wonder if that's trying them trying to get more people to actually use the movies anywhere app which also has some pretty fantastic deals on digital movies i find myself usually using uh, apple tv or or prime video uh when i'm watching stuff matt emailed ask at avxl.com i just heard you read my email on the show the other day i had resigned myself to the fact that it was a problem with the tv matt emailed about the red vertical bars the problem he had with red vertical bars on his tcl tv uh, he resigned himself to the fact that it was a problem with the TV just being a mid-range model and not fully capable of HDR. Well, lo and behold, TCL sent me an email last month offering to replace my TV. Gmail stuffed it in the spam or something. I didn't see it until today when I was searching my inbox for something totally different. Looks like Robert was right again. Love the show. You helped me immensely when buying my TV. That and rtings.com. R-T-I-N-G-S.com. Thanks, Matt. Awesome. That is good to hear. <laughs> yeah. The miracle. 
the miracle of being under warranty. Always take advantage of the company's support, if especially if it's still under warranty. <laughs> and I've, as I've mentioned before, many times when you use a credit card to purchase something online or even a debit card, read the fine print. It usually adds a year to the warranty. With membership stores like Costco and others, they also provide their own extended warranties on the products you buy from them as well. So, yeah, I'm, this is me not arguing and thinking about all no. the things I bought with a credit card, just hopefully to get a little extra protection. Because what Matt was having, wrong. that issue he had with his TV was mm -hmm. definitely internal. I, I, I think we came to the conclusion it was just something was not right. So I'm willing yeah. to bet he wasn't the only person experiencing that with that series of TVs and... And sometimes it's amazing how quickly the companies will respond and actually get you hooked up. So I'm, I just, it's good to hear. Good to hear somebody reached out and they reached back and it seemed to work out for everyone. It never hurts to reach out. Well, Customer sometimes it hurts life. emotionally. <laughs> there you have <laughs> it. Oh my goodness. I want to revisit something because I know we're going to get emails about it. I was talking earlier about uh, uh, about finding Atmos speakers that were going to kind of match uh, either the ELAC ones, which do match if I can get them in, if they come back in stock in time. Or uh, I was thinking about another set of uh, speakers because I have uh, some crazy Golden Ear uh, Triton 2 Pluses that I'm experimenting with, um, which are great big speakers and much fancier than, than my usual pay grade, <laughs> thanks to the miracle of Craigslist. You don't really care whether or not the surrounds match. For me, like the left, right, the and center should absolutely match as closely. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. I thought you said just throw anything well, in the ceiling. Well, the same <laughs> model. It's like, but people are like, oh, it's okay. got to be some special. I thought you were implying more along the lines of, oh, it has to be some special Dolby Atmos speaker. It's like, no. <laughs> Could you give me a six-pack or an eight-pack of a decent ceiling-mountable speaker, and that's all you really need. Right. And, and the wiring and the proper processing, but. That's all I meant. Okay. But 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 they should match your, your left, right, center. They shouldn't just be Bob's house of speakers, ideally, that cut-rate brand I got off of Amazon. Ideally. <laughs> they're not speakers that sound dramatically okay. different from each other. Right. Just wanted to get that out there. I will say I, I am completely phenomenal about making sure my left, right, and center match. Because uh, I've, I've heard some interesting mismatches of centers and left and rights. I have no problem with just taking five of the exact same speaker for a 5-1 setup. Yeah. There is nothing wrong with that. You do not need a specific center channel or, you know. Right. Yeah. It can get crazy, and it doesn't have to be. <laughs> right. Especially if you're going to be tearing your ceiling apart or you're just able to run the wiring up and around and get it right to where you need it. It's not hard to get those speakers up in the ceiling to get a really good great atmos type environment going with affordable equipment so i've seen it i've heard it i was it's delicious uh, enjoy <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was just i was want to make sure i heard that right no i'm i'm, I'm looking forward to to getting the speakers in the ceiling because uh, there's joists up here right now there's no actual ceiling which adds some joy to the installation although it makes the wiring phenomenally easy yes <laughs> Space is a good thing. Oh, yeah. We'll we'll talk about Atmo. It's, it's been interesting because they have expanded the uh, installation guides up at Dolby for home theater speakers because they literally have everything from like you know two point one installations up to some really insane like eleven dot four or eleven dot six type stuff. Our um, format supports I don't up have thirty five channels. <laughs> Go nuts. <laughs> 
your installer can go nuts. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be hard to find off-the-rack equipment to do your 35-channel setup. Oh, man. Hisense H9G, what's up uh, What's up with I that? I just wanted to the throw that, that particular brand and model out there. The H9G mm-hmm. from Hisense is, I would put this up there with one of the very best budget TVs for HDR 4K playback. When the TCL 8 series cool. is on sale for $1,000 for the 65-inch panel, the Hisense H9G is mm-hmm. right there at that same price point, delivering over 1,000 nits of brightness, quantum dot color, and... Kind of a no-frills 4K TV. It does feature Android built in, but I tend to just ignore whatever's built into the TV itself and just hook up my appropriate boxes. One to keep an eye on if you're looking for an alternative to something like the TCL 8 series for a similar price, for similar performance, and just uh, apparently sweet reviews and viewing enjoyment. It's all in a nice package for a good price. Yay. Currently in stock on Amazon. $700 for the 55 I am inch really pleased that Hisense pushing their most premium model every year to something a little better. And it's it's up there now with, I, I would put it up there against anything at the same price, let alone something even a little more expensive. It's, it's, it's riding a good line of value and performance. <sighs> We're not going to see them one-on-one at CES this year. Oh, I ain't going to CES this year. <laughs> it's been, it's there all is no virtual. CES this year. <laughs> I just, uh, I'm going to miss looking at all the shiny new TVs. Oh, goodness. It'll be you have your to the masses. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's just... Uh, I know. Whatever. <laughs> the pain. <laughs> your Solar ADS-B tracker is operational. This is cool. Yeah. I was admiring yeah, this. It's laying out on the deck right now. I'm about to go buy a piece of quarter-inch plywood just to make a base for the electronics and everything but it's running off of a raspberry pi zero and a really cool mppt solar charger slash battery management board i picked up on just randomly looking around to see if anything like that exists this particular board is like 12 bucks and it it has a built-in bracket to support three 18650 batteries and I use that in combination with a SDR radio that runs off of the Raspberry Pi. And the whole thing basically can run 24-7 just off of that one 25-watt solar panel. If I get about four to six hours of sunlight every day. <laughs> so as long as uh, it rides a fine line, as long as I put it in the right place and keep it, you know, pointed sky high. But I'm actually kind of surprised. It will trickle charge even with an overcast sky. So solar panels are more nice. efficient than I I originally suspected, but that's a fun project, easy to do. If I wasn't going to be doing the SDR radio thing for plane tracking, I could easily swap this thing over to be a a wonderful solar-powered phone charger, like if you could take it with you camping or whatever. Uh, I used a buck converter for getting the 5-volt output for USB that was more in line for powering a Raspberry Pi, but if I was going to do it again as a phone charger unit, I'd make sure to get a buck converter that did uh, the quick charge three support and other things like that would that would be more important for speedy phone charging. But it's kind of like a universal power pack in a, in a sense, and it just so happens to be perfect for that Raspberry Pi Zero, which can run quite comfortably under non-challenging scenarios at its five five volts and about half an amp. It all just plays really nice together. I just finished uh, conformal coating the crap out of everything, so I'm pretty sure I can hit it with a hose at this point. 
uh, <laughs> and I just need now to get it hung up and out of the way. It, it, it's a done project, and I want to. I'm already thinking about what I'll do for version two on that. But that was fun, fun and easy. Hose it. I'll be Hose sure it. to post some links about that project. The board I was looking at was if you search for BC twelve one one one, that should pop up a store or a company called Wandom. And let's see, eleven dollars and ninety cents for the part number is PS dash BC twelve one one one. And it's a pretty sweet little board for what it is. And having MPP technology, that multi, uh, oh my God, I don't even remember what that's for. Maximum PowerPoint tracking. Thank you. <laughs> Ooh. That uh, is pretty rare to find in any value board for solar chargers. So that was pretty neat. And, and I've seen that tech actually verified by some folks online on a cool YouTube channel where I probably was where I first discovered this board. Somebody was just reviewing it as a, hey, here's something fun I found on eBay. And uh, sure enough, I was like, hey, I could use that. <laughs> yes. How convenient. I don't need multiple parts. I just need that. And then something to give me that 5-volt output, which is the one thing this board is missing. It didn't have that, so I just added a board to do the conversion from that 3S battery pack to 5-volt output. And that's not hard. Uh, if you can solder a little bit, you can do this. And I, my soldering sucks. And I, if anything, this was a good practice session for me just to get my soldering a little more up to speed. I'm a, I need practice. <laughs> I can, I can send you a list. I, of projects. I fixed an extension cord yesterday <laughs> just to give myself a little more practice. Uh, the roommate had to cut it in half because uh, as we were doing the decking on the on the back deck of the house, we accidentally left part of the extension cord in a spot where we would have to remove all the deck boards in order to get the extension cord out. So <laughs> the short term solution was just cut that damn thing. We'll fix it later. <laughs> it worked out just fine, but yeah, I've also got that raspberry Pi four. I need a keyboard for it and I'm looking around to see what keyboards I've got in storage or whatever. Um, I'll probably just pick up a wireless Bluetooth mouse or uh, I could go Bluetooth, but any wireless mouse keyboard for it would be ideal. And I, I know I have I'll, this stuff. I, I, I will be rolling through that area, emptying out the last storage unit in Alameda. I think I still have an entire case full of keyboards. If you still need one, let me know, and I'll just, I'll, you know, Lysol a few and leave them on your front deck. In my storage <laughs> unit right now, I have a 65-inch TV that's in the way that I'm waiting for somebody to pick up. And then I also have a 5-1 set of, oh, what are those classic, take, uh, take classics? No. The Energy 5.1 Tate Classic yes, Home Theater that one. Anyway, I've had those for a while, and they've been sitting in storage for way too long, and I am just practically giving those things away just for the room at this point. But once I have those items out of the way, then I'll be able to access the part of my storage <laughs> unit that probably has a bunch of keyboards and PC parts in it. If you're in the Bay Area <laughs> and need a set of speakers, email ask at avxl.com to get on the list <laughs> to help remove speakers from Robert's storage These unit. will likely end up as a $50. It's sitting on my driveway. First person to grab it and hand me the 50 bucks can take them. <laughs> I do have a set of really nice speaker stands, though, for those speakers, but they're worth more than the speakers themselves, and I'm less inclined to get rid of those because they are quite the useful I will say uh, I, I have an email I got from an, uh, an audio dealer that they sell stuff, and they're very excited about uh, something they were selling. Um, it's a uh, 
used $9,000 RCA cable. Wow. Yeah. And there's, that makes those words together don't make any sense to me. (laughs) I don't, I just, that goes in one ear and right out the other. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to think about something else. Well, it has a, a box in the middle with knobs on it. Um, I'm I'm not going to name anything because I I just don't I'm just I'm just I'm not allegedly feeling, allegedly. Well, it has an articulation separator. Oh man! And you can adjust the impedance. So it has a box full of resistors. Okay. Uh, That's and some, a knob. Some sweet analog, something there. I'm sure I just don't understand. <laughs> it was sixteen thousand dollars msrp new oh i was a little bit bummed to hear that there's no immediate plans for lg to bring the variable refresh rate technology to their 2019 oleds that i had purchased uh not that long ago a few months ago (laughs) i have a feeling that they may end up adding this down the road because it especially from the c series on up it has the advanced chipsets in there and i know they could do it I honestly believe that unless enough people complain, it just isn't going to happen. And now we're about to test out how well my noise cancellation works that the gardener has showed up and is now string trimming the backyard. I should probably get going here. (laughs) With that, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to this episode of AVXL. If you are a patron, we got another hangout on Sunday. Uh, this will probably come out uh, after that, or perhaps not. But we did a uh, we did a late hangout Sunday, the ninth. We're going to do another hangout Sunday, August sixteenth, which hopefully I will actually do at the right time. I've I figured out the time zones on my calendar, so we'll have another hangout. And uh, uh, hey, with that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Patrick Norton. I am Robert Heron. We'll catch you next week on AVXL.